Good evening. How's everybody doing this evening? All right, we're winnowing down. Uh, hopefully, everybody will come back in the last week and get my um, my chart. Um, that's going to be the best thing that you're going to have to take away from this. Okay. Um, so tonight we've got uh, uh, some more of the kings to look at, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, but we'll get to it in just a second after we do some reviewing. So let me pray, and uh, we'll get rolling. Lord, thanks for the uh, uh, opportunity to uh, assemble again and to take a look at um, some uh, people who are examples to us. And some of them are uh, good examples, and most of them are bad examples. And Lord, you know, um, you know too well that that is so true of our own lives, that we too are examples. And so, Lord, we want to be people who follow hard after your Son, and who uh, walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and who uh, uh, reflect uh, his honor and glory, so that we um, um, will point people uh, to you and to what it means to have a relationship with you. So, Lord, uh, uh, help make the kings relevant to uh, where we are in uh, each of our individual lives tonight. So thanks for this time. Thanks for these friends. Amen. All right, so tonight, oh, we're in week three. We're going to cover uh, Joash in the uh, uh, northern kingdom. We talked about Joash in the southern kingdom last week. Uh, two different guys, but same name. And we'll go all the way down to Hoshea and uh, uh, the fall of the northern kingdom. And that will be interesting. Um, I've got a, a great little summary of... What happened in the northern kingdom? Uh, the Lord puts in a whole chapter of the things that went wrong, basically. And uh, so then we'll cover 11 kings tonight. And then the last week we'll have just the southern kingdom left. And uh, it will be interesting because two of the very best kings of all the kings uh, are in the southern kingdom for the last week. So that'll be fun. All right. Um, let's see. Let's talk about uh, the timeline before I show it to you. Um, the date that the kingdom divided was what? 931 B.C. That's an important date to remember, okay? The kingdom divides, and we've got uh, um, the northern kingdom uh, that's composed of how many tribes? How many? Ten. There we go. Ten, and the southern kingdom's composed of two tribes. All right. And uh, who's the uh, first king of the northern kingdom? Jeroboam. And what is um, distinctive about the reign of Jeroboam? Yes, ma'am. He set the precedent. He set the pattern that keeps getting repeated that all these other kings walked in the way of Jeroboam. Although we'll see one tonight who ruled for such a short time that the Lord didn't even say that he did evil. Um, but I think we can assume that he did. Okay? Um, and then um, Rehoboam ruled in the southern kingdom. And uh, um, the southern kingdom also has a pattern. What pattern is that? David, yeah. Um, it says, some of the kings walked in the manner of David. 
And so David is the pattern for uh, the southern kingdom kings. And really, he's the pattern for all the kings. It's just that the northern kingdom guys never got uh, on that track at all. Okay, so here is our uh, chart. You can see the kingdom divide after David had ruled for 40 years and Solomon had ruled for 40 years. Um, And then tonight we're going to see uh, by 722 B.C., uh, approximately 210 years after the kingdom divides, the northern kingdom is conquered by Assyria. And we'll walk through all the kings. And, and you can just see uh, in the um, rapid pace with which uh, king follows king that you can just feel the chaos that the northern kingdom is descending into. Okay? And then the... Um, Southern Kingdom had the good fortune at that same time to be governed by a uh, great king, uh, Hezekiah, who we'll talk about next week. And he reacted in the way that uh, all the Northern Kingdom kings should have reacted. And uh, um, when he is uh, uh, confronted by invasion by Assyria, he turns to the Lord, and the Lord shows up in a big way, sets a record. Okay, and we'll talk about that record next week. So there's the timeline. Here's our little map. Um, You can see some um, cities on here. Um, Look right up here. Aphek, that's going to be a battle. uh, Happens at Aphek that we'll talk about. And uh, um, most of the focus today will be on the northern kingdom. Okay? Any questions so far? All right, so now... I want to do something a little bit different and something a little bit fun. I'm going to give you five minutes at your table, and we're going to play Stump the Teacher. Okay? And so y'all come up with a question that can be answered about any one of the kings that we've studied so far. Okay? So uh, uh, let's see. Tonight we're starting in um, about, um, uh, right about the middle of uh, chapter 13, 2 Kings 13. So anything up through 2 Kings 12, any king uh, that's in there. So it's a question that can be answered from the scriptures itself. And so what you're going to do is you're going to ask the question, and I'm going to answer which king was it. Okay. And then, if I get it right, okay, I got it right. If I get it wrong, then I get to ask your table a question, okay? And there'll be great prizes for those who stump the teacher and then can answer correctly the question I ask. But, you know, in the way of all things, since there's so many of you and only one of me, I may ask questions that don't necessarily Uh, you don't necessarily find the answer right in the pages of Scripture, but they will relate to uh, one or more kings. Okay? So you may have to use a little common sense, or you'll be able to play well. Uh, These questions are easy. No big deal. Okay? So take five minutes and uh, come up with uh, uh, a question that uh, your table would want to ask, and we'll play Stump the Teacher for a few minutes. Almost. Everybody ready? You got a question? Got a stumper? Okay, it's going to be more fun, obviously, if, I, if you stump me. 
Okay, so that takes all the pressure off of me. Okay, I can just go in the tank if I want to. Okay, all right. Um, so who wants to be first? All right, right down here, Angie. Wait, wait till you get the uh, microphone. Stand up. Tell them your name. Okay, yeah, my name is Christian Cabal, and the question is... What, one, uh, one second. The only thing I'm going to use just to show you the value of this little sheet <laughs> is going to be this little sheet. Oh, okay. Okay? <laughs> I'll get to use this. Okay. All right. Okay. So which king uh, inquired of Baal-zebub and then was rebuked by Isaiah for doing that? <laughs> That's a stumper. Which king, which king inquired of Baal and then was rebuked uh, by Isaiah? Not Isaiah, sorry, by uh, uh, Elijah. Yeah. Elijah. Elijah, okay, that's a little, bit, that's a yeah. little easier. Okay. <laughs> which question inquired of Baal? I've taken too long. Okay, I'm stumped. All right, and so my question for y'all, who, what's the answer? It's Ahaziah. Ahaziah. I actually looked at that. Yeah, he fell, through the, he fell through the lattice of his chamber, and he was sick, and then he went to inquire of Baal's above. That was a good one. Yeah. All right, so I've got, I'm going to have to have a good one for y'all. Okay. Um. Which king would be most popular at a high school reunion? That's an easy one. All right, do we have an answer? All right. That's right. Y'all are winners, okay? So uh, all the winners will be able to pick up their books, and we have um, uh, a few of the King's books left, but if we run out of those, you will be able to come by the equipping office at Angie's desk and pick from any of the books at the equipping library as our gift to you, okay? Good gift. Um, the, the answer was Rehoboam. Because he went and consulted his high school buddies that he gave uh, positions to instead of listening to the wise advice of Solomon's uh, leaders, Solomon's uh, uh, elders and uh, advisors. Okay, so that's a good one. All right, give me another one. Make it easier. Who else wants to do it? Okay. I'm Todd. This king's wife went to Terza. This king's wife went to Terza. Terza. Town of <laughs> Terza. Okay. This king's wife went to Terza. All right, so Terza's on the map. Hmm. I think I'm stumped again. Went to Terza. Um Ahab. 
Jeroboam. Okay, here's one for y'all. Which king that we've studied in the first two weeks' name ranks today, or in 2014 at least, in the top 600 of the most popular baby names? Okay, are you with me? Top 600 of baby names according to the Social Security Administration. You can look this up on the internet. Which king? Top 600. David is actually in the top 100. So now this is a king of the divided kingdom. That's all we're asking about. Asa is right. Another winner. This is way too easy. How many would have said Asa? What else would we have said? Josiah? We hadn't studied Josiah yet. But that's, that's a good guess. Okay. Who else? See, this is a game. All right, Tom. The table of guys. I know this will be a hard one since I'm 0 for 2. What king did ride in the sight of the Lord, and yet he did not cut down the high places? Well, there's several that uh, uh, did right in the eyes of the Lord, but didn't cut down the high places. So I can give you uh, a uh, a number of those guys. Down. Hmm. You need it more specific. Yeah, well, yeah. Twenty-five years old. Twenty-five years old when he started to rule. Hmm. Okay, that makes it harder. All right, so if I looked in Scripture there, I probably could find that. Um, 25, when he started to rule, and he uh, did right, but he failed to remove the high places. Jehoshaphat. Amaziah. Amaziah, dadgummit. All right. All right, Jehoshaphat failed to cut down all the high places as well, too. All right, so I got a good one for you guys. All right, which king was not buried in the tomb of the kings? And I'll give you a hint. It's in the southern kingdom. Yes. It was in the first week or second week. Who was it? Abijam. Uh, Abijam? No, it was not Abijam. Um, it was Jehoram. And if you look at, uh, let's see, um, it actually says uh, um, that uh, um, he uh, departed with no one's regret and was not buried in the king's tombs. Okay? So thanks for playing. All right? So I'm finally able to stump back. All right, so one more, last question. Make it a good one, an easy one. Okay, right back in the back. Where, where is this side of the room? Come on. All right, hang on a sec, buddy. I'll give you one last shot. I want some of you. All right. 
I'm Tell Emily. us your name. Emily. Emily. And how much did Omri buy the Hill of Samaria for? What, now, the, it's supposed to be a question that I answer with the name of a king. Okay, sorry. Was that not? I thought just through second king. Well, let's, well I'll, I'll give it a shot anyway. So it's a question about Omri. Yes. Okay. Yes. And what was the question again? How much did he buy the hill of Samaria for? Okay, I'm having a hard time hearing you. How much did he buy the hill of Samaria for? Oh, how, uh, that's in the scriptures. That's right out of the scriptures. Um, for two talents of silver. Ah, yes. How about that? <laughs> Woo! There's a lucky guess. All right. Okay, over here. Bob Madeley. This guy was a star linebacker for the 1968 Highland Park Scots. Middle linebacker. <laughs> okay. This is an easy one. We talked about this one a little while back. Okay. Uh, who was the uh, uh, king in Israel that set the uh, pattern of uh, bad behavior, of evil? Who was the king the, of yeah. Israel that set the pattern for bad behavior? Yes, the north. In the north. Yes. Okay, that would be Jeroboam. There you go. I knew he was going to get it. Actually, he- Try me one more. That was too easy. <laughs> I, knew, I, I knew it. Okay. Okay, well, I'll ask you an easy one. Just to close us out here, buddy. See, I was trying to go easy. And your whole table can answer. (laughs) This is perfect for you. Which king should not be permitted to play with matches and why? Zimri is correct. See, it was easy. And why? Burned the, the king's house down on top of himself. All right. Well, so, so study up. We'll have some more of this uh, uh, next week because uh, the kings of the southern kingdom are a lot of fun to play with. And so uh, we will continue. But let's take a look at the kings we have tonight. And we start out with um, a doozy. His name is Joash. And you can read about him in Second uh, Kings 13. Whoa. Okay, so he was uh, obviously a king for the blue states, a king of Israel. Read about him in Second Kings 13 and 14. He reigned for 16 years. And, of course, if he's a northern kingdom guy, he was evil. Uh, and it tells us that in Second uh, Kings 13.11, where it says that um, he also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Okay? It's interesting that it says that he walked in them. Some of them say that uh, Israel walked in them, but this one says that he personally did this. Um, we also have the last prophecy of Elisha, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So he followed Jeroboam's pattern, um, Elisha's final prophecy. Um, 
He defeated Syria three times, and he also uh, uh, defeated uh, Judah and sacked Jerusalem. How about that? Okay, and so let's go look at uh, uh, Elisha's final prophecy. And so, you know, even though this king of Israel, Joash, remember uh, um, some um, places he's called Jehoash, and in others he's simply called Joash, it's the same guy, just um, two different names for the same guy. And so um, they're being uh, oppressed, and uh, he's fallen sick, and uh, or uh, Elisha's sick, and, um, and he's wondering what's going to happen to them all. And he goes to see Elisha, um, indicating that uh, uh, he, as a king, had great respect for Elisha. Uh, when he calls him my father, my father, that's certainly a term of endearment. And the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, the same title that uh, Elisha called Elijah. Okay, and so Elisha says to him, take a bow and uh, um, shoot it out the window. And uh, um, the uh, indication that opened the window eastward uh, is an indication that he was shooting it actually towards Syria. Uh, or it's also called, uh, uh, in some Bibles, Amram, okay? And so uh, that's the uh, um, oppressor that they were dealing with. And so he shoots it um, eastward, and Elisha interprets. He says, the Lord's, this is uh, um, 1317, 2 Kings 1317, says, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek, you know, that little town we looked at, uh, until you have made an end of them. And then he tells him something else. He says, take the arrows and strike the ground with them. And he struck it three times and stopped. And uh, um, Elisha says, oh, why did you do that? You should have struck it uh, uh, a bunch. And then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will only strike down Syria three times. Okay, and so Elisha dies, and uh, there's a little uh, indication that Elisha's power and influence survived even his death. And so the Moabites uh, um, strike, and they're in the middle of a funeral when they strike. Uh, when this marauding band comes by, they throw this guy in Elisha's grave, and he immediately is resurrected. How about that? And so and we see in the rest of the chapter that uh, um, exactly what Elisha promised, uh, what he predicted, came true. Three times, it says at the end of verse 25, Joash defeated Syria, and he actually recovered cities of uh, Israel uh, in the process. And so, you know, time after time, we see that what prophets of the Lord say come true 100% of the time. And so, you know, for uh, my so what, I said, shoot the Lord's arrow of victory early and often in your own life. Okay? And so when God, you know, we don't have prophets like Elisha running around. We have some that fancy themselves as those kind of guys, but they're not. Uh, But we do have the Word of God. And when it tells us to do something, then we need to do it to the full degree. 
And for me, that's the big takeaway from uh, um, that little episode. When the Word tells us to do something, do it immediately and put your full confidence in it. Apparently, uh, um, the um, fact that uh, uh, Jehoash just struck it three times said that he wasn't really sure about what the uh, prophet was telling him, and he wasn't really sure about putting his full confidence in what the prophet was telling him. But when the Word tells us to do something, um, then we need to do it. Okay? Any questions about uh, Jehoash? Remember, we also have a king in the northern kingdom called Jehoash, so you need to be able to keep those guys separate. The next king is uh, uh, Amaziah. I got stumped on Amaziah. Whoops. There we go. Um, king of Judah. Um, he was son of the southern king Joash. You can read about him in 2 Kings 14. Reigned for 29 years, one of the longer reigns. Um, he was reformed. But listen to what it says. In uh, 14.3 it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like what his father David had done. Okay, so that's not a good qualifier. And in, in that, he failed to meet David's unswerving devotion uh, to Yahweh. He wasn't fully devoted, even though he did a lot that was right in the eyes of the Lord. He has a prophet. You can read about him in 2 Kings 25. Uh, he's just described as a man of God. And so um, one of his big accomplishments was a good one. He defeated Edom, but then he did something incredibly stupid. Okay, if you read Second Chronicles 25, 14, and 15, it says, After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir, that's the Edomites, and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore, not surprisingly, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and, and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Hey, stupid, why have you sought the gods of a people who did not even deliver their own people from your hand? Why would you go worship gods that weren't able to um, um, prevent you from conquering them? Okay? That was not a good play. And so... Um, as someone once said, uh, I'll take crazy over stupid any day. You know, beauty fades, but stupid is forever. And so, you know, um, he started well. Amaziah uh, did uh, some right things, uh, but then he uh, uh, swerved to the dark side or something. Uh, but he simply uh, stopped following with a whole heart what the Lord would have him do. Um, and it's interesting that, uh, uh, I don't know about y'all, but uh, in chapter 14, where, um, let's see, in verse 9, um, after he strikes down the Edomites, he gets all puffed up and says, hey, Joash, northern kingdom guy, let's come look at each other in the face. And uh, this is 14.9. Uh, and Joash, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. Well, um, you go, 
So what does that mean? Well, apparently, this was the language of diplomatic communication uh, in this day and age. Okay? And so, um, ancient monarchs would use these uh, biting fables about plants in diplomatic correspondence. And so, of course, Amaziah is being likened to a thistle that's nothing more than a weed. And uh, uh, Joash is uh, likening himself to a mighty cedar of Lebanon. Okay? And um, unfortunately, uh, Amaziah didn't listen to uh, uh, Joash, and uh, um, they actually did fight, and the southern kingdom was defeated, and Amaziah uh, suffered the indignity of actually being captured by the northern kingdom. And it's interesting that if you look, uh, skip on down to uh, uh, verse 17, Okay, so uh, uh, we wind up uh, Joash and uh, talks about how he fought and they're recorded in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel and Joash dies. And then it says in verse 17, Amaziah the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. It doesn't say that he reigned 15 years. And so there is scholarly speculation that um, he simply um, either was in captivity or was living without actually reigning and that his son was reigning in his place. And, you know, you see that the people of uh, uh, Judah don't take well to losing. And so in verse 19, they made a conspiracy against Amaziah in Jerusalem, and he flees to uh, Lachish, which was a fortified uh, uh, city uh, south of Jerusalem, and they send after him and put him to death there. And it's interesting to uh, see, you know, typically it just says that, you know, the uh, son succeeds the father and whatnot, but in verse 21, this is 1421, it says, And the people of Judah took Azariah, the son of Amaziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. And so the people uh, uh, wanted to replace Amaziah. And so a king that began so well ends up in uh, uh, tragedy. And so, you know... Um, my, uh, so what for, for that, um, is stop when you're ahead. You know, he did well, uh, against Edom and he was, uh, successful. And then instead of, uh, um, worshiping the Lord and thanking the Lord for the conquest that he'd made, he takes the gods of the conquered people and starts worshiping them. That is uh, something that just, it's hard to understand. So stop when you're ahead, listen to the Lord, and not to idols. Okay? That's Amaziah, the southern kingdom. All right, next we have uh, um, another Jeroboam in the uh, uh, northern kingdom. King of Israel, you can read about him in Second Kings 14. He actually reigns for 41 years, and of course he follows the pattern of the first Jeroboam. Um, you might say he lived down to the evil of his namesake, uh, but he had this surprisingly long reign. is actually the longest in the northern kingdom. 
And it was marked by substantial accomplishments such as restoring the borders of Israel to where they were in the glory days of David and Solomon all the way from the north uh, north of Damascus off of our map um, to the uh, northern end of the Dead Sea. And it's interesting that uh, um, his prophet was Jonah, and that's the Jonah that we all know, the big fish guy. And uh, um, it's interesting, too, uh, let's go look at this. Uh, This passage reveals a couple of things about uh, the Lord. Yes. Thanks. Okay. And so what does it show us about the Lord? So take a look at... uh, um, Chapter 14, um, verse 27. Well, let's start in 26. It says, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. Okay, so obviously the king wouldn't be successful in helping Israel. Uh, but the Lord had not said that he would... Uh, but the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. Okay? And so he ultimately uses Jeroboam to um, um, save the nation, uh, uh, the tribe, or the kingdom of Israel. Um, But it was obviously the Lord who made that happen. Okay? And so the couple of things that we learn about the Lord... um, are that uh, he is indeed merciful. And when we are suffering, he takes note of the fact that we are suffering. And he is merciful to uh, provide comfort in that time of suffering in a way that no one else can. And then secondly, he keeps his word. He had said that uh, uh, he would not blot out Israel and He wasn't ready to blot it out. He was giving them more and more chances to turn back to him. And for the so what, you know, God cares about uh, his people Israel. And he cares about you and me. Enough to let Israel experience discipline by other nations. Enough to let me experience discipline when I uh, need it. Enough to send them a prophet, prophet Jonah. Enough to uh, seek to turn them back to himself. And he cares just that same amount for you and me. And so note the phrase um, that we uh, highlighted in 2 Kings fourteen twenty six. And there was none to help Israel. Have you ever felt like that? That there's nobody to help you? Well, take comfort from this passage that just as God was there for Israel... He will be there for you as well. That's a pretty big so what that we can take away from this particular king. He cares about Israel. He cares about you. Any questions about Jeroboam? All right, let's move on to another good king of uh, uh, the southern kingdom, uh, Uzziah. It seems like in Chronicles he's referred to as Uzziah, but in Kings, he's uh, called Azariah. Okay, so he's the son of Amaziah. He rules in Jerusalem, uh, in Judah. Um, you can read about him in Second Kings 15. 
And look at this. He ruled for 52 years, the second longest reign in Judah. Uh, He was reformed. Uh, 15.3 says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Um, you can look at uh, 2 Chronicles 26-22 and you can see that uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was active during this king's reign. And look at this uh, for a summary. As long as uh, he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's 2 Chronicles 26-5. Uh, But then he grows strong and proud, and he decides that, hey, okay, so the priests, I can do that. I can do what the priests do. And he goes into the temple where he's not supposed to be, and he seeks to offer to burn incense on the altar of incense and do something that he's not supposed to do. And it doesn't work out well for him. Have you ever been in that situation where you're in a place where you shouldn't be, doing something you shouldn't do? It usually does not work out well. And even when you seem to escape right then, oftentimes uh, uh, later on um, that comes around to bite you. Anyone else beside me ever be in that situation? You know, it just doesn't work out well when you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And what happens to him? Leprosy breaks out. And, you know, um, leprosy was a term used for lots of different skin diseases, but uh, in the way that they separated the king from everybody else, it's likely that it could well have been what we would today call Hansen's disease. Okay? And so think about this. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And, you know, that doesn't mean that God took away all the challenges. Over the course of 52 years, he had plenty of challenges. But when he sought the Lord, the Lord saw him through whatever the challenge was. And that same thing is true for you and me today. God does not promise to take away our trials and our uh, troubles. But he does promise that as long as we continue to seek him, he will walk through those trials with us. Okay? And so Uzziah, a good king, you know, pride in a king, that didn't always work out so well. And he's struck with leprosy that lasts for the rest of his life. And, you know, for the so what, I mean, it's just Proverbs 16, 18 lived out. Pride goes before destruction. Okay? So... Start strong, stay strong, finish strong. That didn't work out so well for Uzziah. Our next, now we really begin to accelerate uh, the pace in the northern kingdom with Zechariah. He is the fourth and final descendant of Jehu to sit on the throne of uh, Israel. And in doing so, he fulfills the word of the Lord to Jehu, and uh, that's even noted in 2 Kings fifteen twelve, where it says, And so it came to pass. He only reigned for six months, the third shortest reign in Israel, but that was long enough to follow Jeroboam's pattern. Um, we don't have any uh, prophets particularly mentioned. Um, and really, uh, 
about all we know about him in the course of five verses is that he was assassinated by a guy named Shalom. But even in the midst of that, what did God do? He kept his word and said, hey, uh, Jehu, because of what you've done, I'm going to allow your descendants to sit on the throne to the fourth generation. And this was the final guy. Uh, But he didn't last long, six months. So God honors his promises. He keeps his word. And so Shalom's the next guy, and it's just going to seem to accelerate. He lasts for one month. That's not even long enough to change the name on the door, okay? And when you, um, let's go look at uh, um, 2 Kings 15, 13 through 15, When you do, you see there aren't many verses about uh, Shalom. Verse 16 is really about uh, his assassin. Okay? And uh, uh, 14 is a lot about his assassin. So there's not much in here. But what's something that's missing from this description of Shalom in 2 Kings? What's that? Who he followed. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about he, followed, he did evil in the sight of the Lord or that he followed the uh, um, pattern of Jeroboam. Um, I think we can uh, take comfort in the fact that he did. Uh, we don't want him to break our string. Uh, but um, it doesn't say that, which I thought was interesting. Um, but it tells us everything we need to know that uh, he lasts a month. And as he had uh, um, struck um, and conspired, uh, so he was conspired against and was struck down. Okay? Mm-hmm. No. Um, the question was, uh, when it refers to the uh, book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah, is that the um, scriptural book, First and Second Chronicles? And the answer is no. It is a separate book that uh, has not made it down to us today, that has been lost in history. Okay? And there are at least three or four different books, if you keep track of them, uh, throughout um, Kings and Chronicles, there are at least three or four different books, none of which survive uh, through today. Okay, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, but, uh, um, you know, they are consistent uh, in referring to those, and obviously the author of uh, uh, Kings and Chronicles used those books as primary source reference for them. Okay. Um, another thing that's interesting about uh, uh, Shalom is that um, he was known for the conspiracy he made against the previous king. And so, you know, my so what says, hey, let the punishment fit the crime. He assassinated his way to the throne, and he falls victim to assassination himself. Okay, so not much to say about uh, Shalom. And that takes us on to Menahem. Menahem. 
Shalom's assassin uh, uh, assumes the throne and reigns for 10 years. Um, he definitely does evil. Uh, it's recorded in uh, um, 2 Kings fifteen eighteen. But interestingly, it's 10 years of surprising stability. Uh, but that stability came at a high price because he brutally eliminated his opponents and he subjected himself and Israel to vassal status under the Assyrian empire of Tiglath-Pileser. Now, there's a baby name that y'all might want to consider. You know, I didn't check the popularity. I, it may not be in the top 100, but, you know, that's a name that could be uh, uh, distinctive, Tiglath-Pileser. Okay, he's also called Pul, um, that uh, uh, commentators say was likely his Assyrian throne name. Okay, but it refers to the same guy, Tiglath-Pileser. And so look, um, to make this tribute payment, uh, it says that he taxed all the wealthy men of Israel. Fifty shekels of silver, which totaled to a thousand talents of silver, or um, in our best understanding of what a talent was, that would represent about 75,000 pounds of silver. And so today, silver is worth about $16 an ounce. And so that uh, load of silver at today's prices would bring about $17.5 million. Uh, A substantial payment for back then, I think it's safe to say. And so here we have our first mention of Assyria, And it's the first of three invasions by Assyria. And so, you know, when Assyria invaded, they um, um, had the option of they could accept the tribute payment and uh, um, pack up and go home, which is what they did, or they could uh, uh, reject the tribute payment and continue on with the invasion. But uh, um, Menahem was successful in negotiating his way to vassal status under uh, the rule of Assyria. And this had an advantage for him. Okay? What, what sort of advantage would you think it would provide him? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. That uh, Assyria then would help him consolidate his um, control of the throne of Israel and then also be available if Israel was attacked by anyone else to uh, come protect Israel in the process. Okay, so um, it was a strategic alliance that allowed Menahem to stay in power and to uh, um, not have to worry nearly as much about the threat of invasion from other uh, forces. Question over here? Okay, Um, so... Remember, this is our, the first start of Assyria starting to chip away at the sovereignty of the northern kingdom. Okay? And so, um, first, uh, for the summary, I have uh, first Assyrian invasion, tax the wealthy uh, guys to uh, pay tribute, to confirm his hold on power. And I, my so what for this is, Worship the Lord and follow him instead of paying tribute to your fears. Okay? We're going to see, remember this, remember what Menahem did, and then think about what Hezekiah does next week. Because Hezekiah in the southern kingdom is going to be in exactly the same position 
with respect to exactly the same oppressor, Assyria. And we're going to see the difference in the way it works out for um, Hezekiah and the southern kingdom in comparison with how it worked out for the northern kingdom here. Okay? So he ruled through about uh, five, uh, 742 B.C. So they have about another 20 years left after uh, Menahem finishes. Okay? Follow the Lord instead of paying tribute to your fears. And I don't know about you all, but, you know, there are days in which I pay a lot of tribute to my fears instead of going, hey, Lord, what would you have me do? Um, I had an example just recently where, you know, I was going to have a hard conversation with somebody, and I worried about that conversation uh, for a long time. And, um, you know, when we got together, the guy acknowledged that uh, um, he had uh, not acted wisely, and it ended the conversation. And so I'd spent this time worrying and praying. The praying part wasn't lost, but the worrying part was lost. And so we don't want to be a people who pays tribute to our fears instead of simply going, Lord, I know you've got this. And so, gang, you see throughout the lesson of the kings, there is example after example of how what they faced is relevant and uh, just right in line with the sort of challenges that we face. We may not be ruling a kingdom, but we're all ruling something, even if it's as small as me, okay? Um, If I'm going to be a leader, I have to start by leading myself well first. And so my kingdom may just consist of me. Uh, It may just be you. And so first, lead yourself well by uh, following what the Lord has to say instead of paying tribute to fears about what might happen. All right, that's Menahem. You can see how we're focused on the uh, uh, southern, uh, I'm sorry, on the northern kingdom. Here's the next king, um, Pekahiah, son of Menahem. He lasts only two years. Um, another uh, pattern of Jeroboam guy. No prophets are mentioned. Uh, but um, it's likely that he continu- continued the tribute to Assyria. And uh, that this is one of the reasons that uh, uh, Pekah probably rose up and uh, um, assassinated. And he was one of uh, Pekahiah's uh, uh, captains of the army. And so we really don't know uh, much about uh, Pekahiah. Uh, And it only takes four verses to say it. But if you think about it, think of what a missed opportunity this guy had. He was elevated to the throne of Israel, where he's ruling over uh, this nation that's loved by God. What an opportunity that is. And I think about the opportunities in my own life where I've had opportunities to do things, and I've just whiffed. And that's what this guy did. He whiffed. Okay? And so instead of uh, being the one to say, hey, we are going to turn back to the Lord. We're going to stop worshiping uh, the um, cows uh, at Bethel and Dan. We're going to turn back and worship the Lord. None of the northern kingdom guys did this. 
And so my so what for him is that he was offered greatness in the opportunity that he had, and he totally missed that opportunity to turn back to the Lord. Next we come to uh, um, Pekka. This guy presents problems for lots of reasons, okay? So we'll talk about it. Um, He ruled for 20 years, which is interesting in and of itself. Because if if you've been paying attention to the dates, the dates overlap with the rules of uh, a couple of his predecessors. And so uh, one of the great things that this little book does is that it walks you through the date problems, okay? And um, I've stayed away from uh, uh, dealing with the date problems uh, because there are a lot of other more important problems, I think, in here. But let me just... um, talk a little bit about the problem with uh, dating the different kings. And part of it arises from the fact that uh, there were different methods for calculating the reigns of kings in Israel and Judah. Okay, so they used two different methods. Judah used what's called the accession method, which calculated the king's reign as beginning on um, New Year's Day of the next calendar year. So if I became the king of Israel in 2015, um, um, Judah would say that, well, I really begin on New Year's Day 2016. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the accession method. Israel, on the other hand, used the non-accession method, which counted the year of the king's coronation as a full year, regardless of how many months or even days he ruled. Okay, so Israel says, okay, so you became king on December 31, 2015, uh, and uh, um, that counts as a full year, even though you just reigned for a day in 2015. And when you put all that together, you go, all right, now I start to see how this could be um, confusing. But to make matters even more confusing, Israel and Judah used different calendars. Okay? And so Israel's calendar began in the spring, in the month of Nisan, which is like uh, March or April or April or May. And Judah's year began in the fall, in the month of Tishrei. And so you've got different calendars and different methods of calculating, and it is no surprise that it makes it hard to reconcile the date sometimes. Uh, But... um, One of the things that is great about this little book is that it walks you through and gives you a reasonable explanation for how the dates work together, okay, how they fit, okay? And so how do we reconcile the Bible's claim that Pekka ruled for 20 years? Well, let me read you from, uh, this is page 199 of uh, Hubbard's book. It says, the best solution is to suppose that Pekka ruled a rival Israelite kingdom headquartered in Gilead, established the year that Menahem came to power in 752 B.C. Only later did he successfully seize the throne in Samaria. Okay? And so, you know, when it says that he ruled for 20 years, well, he may have just been ruling a part of the country for a part of that time, and then by the um, time of uh, uh, his death, he was ruling over the entire country. Okay, and so that's a reason why the reign of Pekah seems to overlap with Menahem and Pekahiah. Okay, so 
During his reign, we have the second Assyrian invasion, and here we start to have people taken captive and taken back to Assyria, and that didn't go over well with the uh, people, and he ends up being uh, uh, assassinated by uh, Hoshea. And so my so what for him is live by the sword, die by the sword. And that's what we uh, see with respect to him. Right before we get to the um, last guy, uh, we have a little interruption of a good king in the southern kingdom named Jotham. You can read about him in 2 Kings fifteen thirty-two through uh, 38. He ruled for 16 years. Uh, he was described as uh, um, reformed. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. No prophet mentioned. And look what it says uh, in Second Chronicles 27.6. I love this. It says, He became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. Uh, he's known for defeating the Ammonites. He rebuilt uh, the upper gate of the temple. And um, his rule marks the first time that uh, and it's noted that the Lord sent foreign invaders against Judah to discipline it. You can read that in Second Kings 15.37. And so this serves as a warning for Judah to put her house in order while uh, God's patience is lasting. Um, but even so, uh, Jotham's reign in the southern kingdom uh, serves as a stark contrast to the chaos that you're seeing in the northern kingdom. Okay? And so it's a little island of sanity in the midst of the chaos that's swirling around. And so, you know, gang, if we're going to be mighty, uh, the right way to go about it is the way that Jotham did it. He ordered his ways before the Lord his God. That's the right way to be mighty. It, It simply means that he did what the Lord asked him to do. And he sought the Lord Uh, instead of uh, um, seeking um, foreign alliances or uh, seeking uh, um, to worship other gods, uh, he sought the Lord, and he became mighty in a good way. All right, our last guy for the uh, uh, kingdom of uh, uh, Israel, Hoshea. All right, so he's just assassinated uh, um, the previous king. But look what it says about him. Let's uh, turn to um, um, 2 Kings 17.2. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, uh, Hoshea, the son of Eli, began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. We've skipped over Ahaz in the southern kingdom. We're going to uh, pick him up in chapter 16 uh, next week. That's who we'll start with. And then it goes on and says, He, meaning uh, Hoshea, uh, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Okay? And so, you know, he was evil, but he wasn't as bad as the guys who went before him. That's not much of a recommendation, but it's better than nothing, I guess. And so against him comes uh, Shalmanazar, king of Assyria, and uh, he starts out paying uh, tribute. But then uh, 
apparently at the time there was a, a, um, a death in Assyria of uh, the king, and at that time uh, Hoshea um, sought to make an alliance with Egypt to uh, um, protect um, Israel. And the king of uh, the new king of Assyria finds out about it, and uh, um, he stopped paying tribute at the same time uh, um, Hoshea did. He'd done it year by year uh, until then. This is in uh, 17.4. Therefore the king of Israel shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king invaded all the land and came to Siberia, and for three years he besieged it. And then in verse 6, 17.6, we have the final fall of Israel. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites uh, away to Assyria and placed them in uh, various um, places um, within Assyria. And so, gang, with that, we have the end of uh, the northern kingdom, the fall of the northern kingdom. It's interesting that it took the mighty world power, the leading world power of that time, three years to conquer um, Israel. So that says something for the people, but you can only imagine what a difficult three-year period that was. And so the kingdom divided in 931 B.C. The northern kingdom lasts until 722 B.C., and that gives us some 210 years And so uh, some might say that 200-plus years of forbearance meant either that the Lord didn't care or that he was asleep or he didn't really exist or didn't have the power to discipline his people. But, gang, they would all be wrong because it simply means that there will come a day of judgment. Uh, God will even the scales one day. Um, As he did for the nation of Israel, so he will do for you and me. Okay, And so my takeaway from this is that we cannot mistake the Lord's patience and his mercy and his forbearance for either inattention or impotence. And so um, what do we learn from uh, um, the fall of um, Israel? Well, interestingly, in chapter 17, um, the um, the Holy Spirit gives us at least ten reasons for the fall of Israel. Y'all may have a difficult time reading these on the slides, but maybe you can. But it's on your slides uh, on the paper. Okay? And so, they sinned against the Lord. They feared and worshipped other gods, including Baal and all the hosts of heaven. They walked in the custom of the nations the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. They walked in the custom of the kings of Israel. They built high places, set up pillars and ashram, and made offerings on high places. They worshiped and served idols, including the two golden calves. They wouldn't listen to the prophets sent to warn the kings and the people of Israel. They despised the Lord's statutes and covenant. They even burned their sons and daughters as offerings and used divination and omens, things that were punishable by death, in the, under the Mosaic law. And finally it says that they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. That's quite an indictment on Israel. 
And so the verdict, Lord removed them out of his sight, and they were carried off into captivity uh, by uh, Assyria. Okay? And so we read this list and we go, okay, those guys got what they deserved. Is that your conclusion on that? That was my conclusion. I read it and I go, okay, yeah. They needed that. Good for them. They got what they had coming to them. But if you sit there and you look at that list and you ask yourselves these questions, it makes it a lot more personal. Am I living in persistent sin? Am I making other things gods in my life? Am I living according to the world's customs instead of the Lord? Or instead of the commands of Christ? Am I making things or people the king of my life instead of the Lord? You know, it talks about uh, making offerings. What does my bank account say about uh, the things that I value in life? Is, am I giving God the best or am I simply giving him leftovers? And he's asking these same things of, of uh, you guys. Let me use the second person pronoun in these. Are you making something a golden calf in your own life? Are you listening to uh, um, the um, people who are mature in Christ and to the uh, Word of God in your own life? Are you listening to uh, um, what you want to listen to or to what the world would tell you? How about this one? Are you living like you despise the Lord's commandments and His statutes? Are you consulting omens instead of the word? And finally, are you selling yourself to do evil in the Lord's sight? Or, as Romans 6.18 tells us, are you submitting yourself as a slave to righteousness? You know, the kings that submitted themselves as servants of the Lord... And as slaves to righteousness, it went well for them. And even though they weren't perfect, um, their kingdom prospered. Their kingdom, I should say, since it was only in the south. Um, And so, gang, the reasons that Israel uh, fell are the same reasons that you and I struggled today when we struggle. And so... That's what I love about studying the kings is that they are dealing with things that may be, you know, globally more important and bigger and all that sort of stuff. But the bottom line question is exactly the same. And to put it in football vernacular, whose offense are you going to run? Are you going to run the Lord's offense or are you going to run your own? Am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it his way? That was the question for each one of those kings. All right. Um, Next week, um, we'll be dealing with the uh, um, nation of uh, um, 
Judah. We will uh, uh, be covering the kings from Ahaz to Zedekiah. We're going to see the same thing happen in the southern kingdom. And right at the end, those kings are going to be clicking off like that. Uh, But we've got a couple of great kings thrown in as well. And we'll spend some time looking at that. And so I have a little assignment for you for next week. Okay? And uh, I want you to read 2 Kings 18 through 20. 2 Kings 18 through 20. Okay? It will bless you. Uh, It's all about uh, um, my buddy Hezekiah. Uh, And it's worth reading because you're going to see how uh, a king should serve. And then, if you're uh, uh, really motivated, go read what Second Kings and also what Second Chronicles has to say about Josiah. Read about Hezekiah and Josiah. It will bless you, because these are guys whose hearts were fully devoted to the Lord. They weren't perfect, but they persisted in following the ways of the Lord. Okay, so a little assignment. I think it'll bless you. It won't take you long. It's only three or four pages. Um, but uh, there's some uh, interesting things that go on in that time frame. Okay? Um, you can compare it with uh, um, some passages in Isaiah as well. If you really get motivated to read more about uh, Hezekiah and what Isaiah said. Uh, but you see um, what happens when someone is fully devoted to the Lord. All right, we still got about uh, um, 15 minutes, and so I think we ought to close with one more round of Stump the Teacher, okay? Because I still have some questions for y'all. Does anybody have some questions left? Okay, that's good. Just a question. I can do those too. I probably won't do as well. That is a great question. Did y'all hear the question? The question is, um, why did Hoshea, the last king of the northern kingdom, run down to Egypt instead of going over to his brother, Hezekiah, in the southern kingdom and pull the kingdom back together to fight against the uh, Assyrian invasion? Um, And the short answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Okay? That is the truthful answer. Um, that's one you're going to have to ask Hezekiah and the Lord uh, one day. Um, it may be that uh, the um, relationship between the northern kingdom and southern kingdom was such that you just wouldn't do it. Um, it may be that uh, uh, they did ask and they were rebuffed. It may be that Hezekiah was smart enough to say, hey, the last thing I want to do is get in the way of someone else's lightning. Okay, when the lightning bolts are striking, okay, I don't want to take your lightning. Um, I want to just, you know, be dodging my own lightning. And so Hezekiah may have said, we're not interested in that. Okay, so 
Scripture doesn't tell us is the short answer. Uh, but, you know, uh, it was obvious that uh, uh, it may have also been that uh, Hezekiah, uh, the, the power of the um, army of Judah paled in comparison with the power of the army of Egypt. That's entirely possible as well. So there may have been a lot of reasons that could have contributed to it, uh, but we just, Scripture doesn't tell us. Okay? Any other questions about what we've been studying? Or y'all want to just call it a night and go down and get dessert? Yes, ma'am. Okay? Um, you know, I didn't go look. I didn't even think to go look. Uh, I think that's a great question. I'm going to go look at that. Um, I don't think that there's any connection. Uh, because I think Jonah was running because Jonah wanted to get away from the Lord because um, he knew what he was being asked to do with respect to the uh, uh, Ninevites. Um, he was being asked to go and warn them about coming judgment. And, um, you know, he says in the book of Jonah that, uh, hey, I know what you're going to do, Lord. Um, You're going to be merciful to them, and I think they ought to just be crushed. And so, no, I don't want to go. I want you to crush them. Um, And so I think that was just totally separate. Okay? An interesting follow-up to the book of Jonah is the book of Nahum. And that takes what happens in Nineveh about 100 years later after Jonah's prophecy. You know, the Ninevites turn to the Lord, and the Lord uh, forestalls judgment for about a hundred years. And so Jonah was successful, and Jonah was right. In fact, he pouts in the last chapter or two about, you know, see, I told you that's exactly what you were going to do. But um, finally, uh, the day comes from judgment, and uh, in the book of Nahum, it's one of the greatest battle seen descriptions in all of scripture and so sometime go read the um, uh, book of Nahum and then you see it's kind of like what happened to to Nineveh a uh, hundred years later and it also has one of my favorite verses um, uh, Nahum 1 7 says the Lord is good a stronghold in the uh, time of trouble the Lord knows those who take refuge in him I mean, is that a great verse? I love that verse. Um, the Lord is good. Man, that, I want to put my stake in the ground on the, that fact. The Lord is good. And that he's a stronghold in the time or the day of trouble. And then finally, he knows those who take refuge in him. That's a verse you can uh, memorize. Okay, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Okay. How did I sound? Kind of like a high-pitched, nasally um, guy with a sinus infection? That's me. Queen Athaliah. She was the mother of um, uh, Azariah, wasn't it? Let's see, I've forgotten. Um, Ahaziah, I think it was. 
No, um, because the king was killed. I think uh, um, he was killed by Jehu. Uh, in, in the purge, he got, you know, there's uh, uh, this king. Um, he got caught up in Jehu's purge of the house of Ahab. And he actually was part of the house of Ahab. He was up there helping uh, the northern kingdom king. And uh, um, he ended up uh, uh, dying at the hands of Jehu. And so Athaliah took over and uh, um, ruled then for about six years. Um, well, Joash was the, um, the first thing that Athaliah did was to kill all the royal family. And they spirited away one surviving son of the uh, previous king. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, Ahaziah. Okay? And so upon his uh, death, Athaliah assumes the throne, kills the royal family except Joash. And Ahaziah's sister, here's a good girl's name for you, Jehoshaphat, um, she was Ahaziah's sister and the wife of Jehoiada the priest. She hid this one surviving son uh, in the uh, temple. Okay? And so the Lion of David was down to one surviving, you know, uh, child. But they hid the son, and uh, then Jehoiada orchestrated... Uh, uh, the um, ascension to the throne of this seven-year-old and served as his counselor until he got old enough to be able to um, uh, rule on his own. And it says that as long as he listened to the counsel of Jehoiada, um, he was successful. But he, like others, you know, uh, got to the point where he says, all right, Jehoiada, I've heard enough. And he ultimately ends up killing the son of Jehoiada, of his counselor. I mean, it's crazy. Okay? So that's the story of those folks. Okay? That's a good question. Anything else? Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for the uh, chance to uh, talk about uh, a bunch of knuckleheads. And Lord, um, count me in that number. Um, There are so many times and ways that I act like a knucklehead. And it all stems from uh, making the decision to do things my way instead of doing things your way. And so, Father, we simply humble ourselves before you to say that um, when we try to do things our way, it doesn't work out so well. And when we try to do things your way, even in the midst of uh, difficult and hard circumstances, it always seems to go better simply because you're in the midst of those circumstances. So, Father, you don't promise to remove trials from us, but you tell us that you will walk through those trials with us. And we claim that, Lord. Um, We want to take refuge in you. You are indeed good. You are indeed a stronghold in the day of trouble. And we want to be numbered among those who take refuge in you. So thanks for this time. Thanks for these friends. And, uh, Lord, may we finish strong next week. Amen. All right, so next week... You, too, can have your very own copy of this chart, okay? And I hope 
that you will look at this as you uh, get it next week and go, well, wait, that's a typo. And then you'll email me and I'll make the chart better. Or you think, hey, this really ought to have something about fill in the blank because maybe it should. And so y'all will be a fresh set of eyes in helping me make this chart better. But the only thing that, uh, the only limitation is that I want it to be on one page front and back so that it is a quick glance to simply give you as you run into a king's name as you read through scripture, you can go, you can pull this out of your bookshelf. I keep it right by where I study and go, oh, okay, so that was Ahaziah in the northern kingdom. Oh, yeah, he aroused his, the Lord's anger just as his father Ahab had done, and he had no son to succeed him. And so it's just a quick, handy reference guide that will hopefully make these kings more memorable to you and easier to figure out what's going on in each of their different rules. So we'll see you next week. Have a lot of fun talking about Hezekiah and Josiah and not so much fun seeing what happens to the southern kingdom.